doesn't seem possible that the Feast of Trumpets is just less than eight weeks away, and then the Feast of Tabernacles begins two weeks after that. And tomorrow we'll be registering online for various feast activities. God has blessed us with an awesome understanding of His plan of salvation that so few, relatively few people on the face of the earth understand. We've been blessed with that understanding, and we have a responsibility, of course, to treasure the truth. We have a responsibility to plan ahead for God's work, and we have a responsibility to plan ahead for our own personal lives in God's church as well. I think most of us understand in one way that life is very short. How old is the oldest person alive today? That record appears to be Misao Okawa, a 115-year-old woman living in Osaka, Japan. Jeroman Kimura, born in 1897, just died June 12th at the age of 116 at Naha, Japan. And in Charlotte on Monday, June 15th, June Olson, our church member here in Charlotte, died one day short of 89 years of age. She was one of those who had attended the very first Sabbath services of the Global Church of God more than 20 years ago. Mayola Wilson of Bluefield, West Virginia, died on April 8th, just a month before her 100th anniversary. And we'll miss Mrs. Nancy Hall, and we'll miss, of course, Leona Bonjour, who were faithful Christians who died in their 60s. And as we know, our Savior Jesus Christ died around 33 and a half years of age. But he's alive today, and he's the head of the body, his church. Let's turn to James, the fourth chapter, to get a concept of life and time. James, the fourth chapter, starting with verse 13. James 4, verse 13. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. James 4, verse 15. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. So life is like a vapor. It's very short. But God has given us a lifetime to grow in godly character. We make mistakes, we sin, and we should learn lessons from the pain of our wrong decisions. But every day is a new day. The Apostle Paul described that positive lesson to us in 2 Corinthians 4. So turn back to 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter and verse 16. A very important lesson that is encouraging to all of us. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet our inward man is being renewed day by day. So some of us who are over 70s, we realize that our outward man is 
perishing of the uh, approximately 200 ministers we have around the world. 13 are age 80 and over, and another 39 are between 70 and 80 years of age. So we, we realize that the outward man is perishing, and yet God tells us the inward man is being renewed day by day. All of us should have long-term goals, but we also have to take a short-term view of overcoming daily by the Spirit's sword. I like that old song, overcoming daily with the Spirit's sword. So we have long-term goals, we have short-term goals, and the inward man or the inward woman is being renewed day by day. In today's sermon, we'll discuss our calling to overcome and grow. How do we accomplish this? Day by day, we continue to love God and love our neighbor. We'll briefly discuss seven important life-changing keys in our daily renewal, if we have time. But first, let's consider the concept of time. You've heard in many times in our sermons, your time is your life and your life is your time. Time seems to go by very slowly when you're young. What is the earliest memory that you have of your childhood? I remember little red wagon that uh, we had in my neighborhood. I remember going to nursery school. Today they would call it preschool. But that was the year before you'd go to kindergarten, the year before you'd go to first grade. Both my mother and father worked, so I went to nursery school part of the day. And after nursery school, then I entered kindergarten. And my parents gave me this shocking goal in life. said, Richard, I think it was after my kindergarten year, I'm not sure. So, Richard, you're about to go through 12 years of school. And after you graduate from high school, you are going on to college. And I distinctly remember the thought, Mom, I've already had two years of school, nursery school and kindergarten. And I've got 12 more years of school, and then after that, I need to go to college? I mean, I still remember that thought distinctly, you know, after kindergarten. 12 years of school, and then college after that. Thinking of college, I might just mention in passing that Living University is currently in progress. That is registration for it. And uh, those over... Dr. Scott is at 65, uh, have free audit, can audit a class, one or two, or one class free of charge. So those of you who are senior citizens over 65, you can register free of charge to audit one class for Living University. So please give that some consideration. But time goes slowly when you're young, but it travels at warp speed when you reach uh, age 49. Thank you. You got that. So how then do you live your life now? How do you view the future and the present? If you had, and I know sometimes we don't want to go through these kinds of challenges and exercises, but it's very helpful. And some people have told because they had cancer that they'd only have six months to live. Or if they went through chemotherapy, maybe one or two years to live. And some of us have not faced that reality, but if you were told you had six months to live, 
How would you spend the rest of your time? What would you want to do? What would you want to accomplish? Maybe you'd want to travel someplace. Some of you are going to Israel for the Feast of Tabernacles this year, and that's a dream come true for some of you. Some of you are going to Alaska, uh, that you've never been to the 50th state. And, uh, well, that's the 49th state, but might be the 50th state of your travels. What if you had just one week to live? What if you just had 24 hours to live? Let's turn to Psalm 90, Psalm 90, verse 10. Psalm 90, verse 10. The days of our lives are 70 years, and if by reason of strength they are 80 years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger? For as the fear of you, so is your wrath. Verse 12 is a key verse here in chapter 9, uh, Psalm 90. There are no chapters in the book of Psalms, ministers. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. That's what we want to consider today. And What would you like to accomplish in the next five years? What would you like to accomplish in the next ten years? I appreciate the vision of Dr. Meredith, who is talking about next two years or three years and thinking about plan A and plan B. And, of course, even now, as we were discussing yesterday or so at lunch, the matter of our financial crises around the world. Things could drop out very quickly. And what will happen to us when the financial crisis hits the United States and the dollar is not worth anything anymore? So we have to be prepared for the future. But we also have to be positive because we know that God has given us awesome and great and wonderful promises that by these we can be partakers of his divine nature, as it tells us in 2 Peter 1, verse 4. Some of us are pessimists. Some of us are optimists. And, of course, you've heard the various definitions of optimists. I'll share a couple of those with you. This is by Oscar Wilde, the one that I think most of you are familiar with. Between the optimist and the pessimist, the difference is droll. The optimist sees the donut, the pessimist the whole. And Mark Twain said, the definition of an optimist is daydreaming more elegantly spelled. Harold Wilson said, I'm an optimist, but I'm an optimist who takes his raincoat. The pessimist complains, this is by William Arthur Ward, the pessimist complains about the wind. The optimist expects it to change. The realist adjusts the sails. And finally, Peter Ustinov said, the point of living and of being an optimist is to be foolish enough to believe the best is yet to come. Of course, God gives us all of those lessons in life but we still have the best is yet to come. Let's turn to Philippians, the fourth chapter. Philippians 4, Dr. Meredith discussed the book of Philippians last week in his inspiring sermon. So much rich information and exhortation and truth in the epistle of Paul to the apostle, the apostle to the Philippians. And as Dr. Meredith explained, Paul was in chains, and yet, he uses the word rejoice, rejoicing, at least eight times in the book of Philippians, even in spite of the fact that he was imprisoned. So Philippians 4, 
verse 10, one of the great lessons that we need to learn in life. Philippians 4, verse 10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me, as he's writing to the Philippians, has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, but I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I won't ask you to raise your hands, but how many of you can say, as the Apostle Paul did, who was in prison at the time, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Now he goes on to explain that in verse 12, I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry. Contrast, both to abound and to suffer need. So how many of us have learned that lesson? We just read in Psalm 90 that God tells us to number our days. Dr. Meredith has learned that lesson. He wrote in the May-June 2012 Living Church News discussing his stroke, which now is about, what, four and a half years ago or so, almost coming up to five. His uh, writes in the May-June LCN, quote, When my stroke came upon me about three and a half years ago, this was May-June 2012, I did sincerely try to think through any lesson I could learn. I found out a number of things about myself, things I need to improve, things I needed to change in order to be the servant God wants me to be. Even though it was painful, it was helpful. I hope every one of us will learn to do this. One of the most profound statements God inspired to be placed in his word is Psalm 90 composed by Moses, who wrote, we read it, but I'll read it again. The days of our lives are 70 years, and if by reason of strength they are 80 years, let their boast is only labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off, and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger? For as the fear of you, so is your wrath. So teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. So that's from Dr. Meredith's article. <clears throat> discussing the lessons that he had learned. So how do we learn that lesson, that whatever state I find myself therein to be content? Read the next verse in Philippians 4, verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It takes that kind of an intimate relationship so that we can learn those lessons to be content. We need both long-term vision and we need a short-term commitment to live each day by faith. We have quite a few sermons. I'll just reference a few for you. Sermon number 324, live each day by faith. Sermon number 531, do you actually live by faith by Dr. Meredith? Number 588, living faith by Mr. Mario Hernandez, and sermon number 723 by Dr. Meredith, Grow in Radiant Faith. The remainder of the sermon will at least start on seven elements for daily renewal. Whether we'll finish and have to go to a second sermon, we'll have to see. Depends on your alertness. No, and my speed. 
The first element for daily renewal is, number one, renew God's Spirit. Renew God's Spirit daily. Let's turn to second, well, we already read Second Corinthians 4, but let's read that again in this context because it's basically the theme of the whole sermon today, Second Corinthians 4, verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. And some people get discouraged. They do lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. But notice verse 17. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment. Now, I might just share with you, I asked to have this uh, stool, this chair behind me because I have a, a bum knee. And I didn't know whether I'd be able to stand up through the whole sermon. So this is my backup behind me here. And I'm limped up here to the, to the lectern. But to my bum knee is just a light affliction compared to this life-threatening diseases and situations that some of our brethren are experiencing around the world. Of course, Romans 8.18, that the sufferings of this time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. Verse 17, 2 Corinthians 4, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Turn to uh, Titus, the third chapter. Day by day, what should we renew? We should renew God's Holy Spirit. And Titus gives us a hint of that. Titus 3, starting with uh, verse 4. Titus 3, verse 4. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of regeneration. We are saved from our past sins once Christ's shed blood has been applied to us. He saved us through the washing of of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Well, God gives us the Holy Spirit after we repent and are baptized, but we need to renew God's Spirit within us. And I'll just refer you to Psalm 51, verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, David prayed, and renew a steadfast spirit within me, was his prayer. And I hope that's your prayer daily, that you're asking God to renew you, that God's Spirit will flow out from you, as Jesus promised in John, the seventh chapter. How? In rivers of living water. That should be a process and a daily action of all of us, and that God's Spirit flows out from us in rivers of living water, loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, loving our neighbors as ourselves, bearing the fruits of God's Holy Spirit. Day by day, we need to renew God's Holy Spirit. There are some who have not been consistent, persistent, 
and consistent in renewing God's Spirit daily, and they've fallen away because they are irregular in their spiritual responsibilities of praying and reading the Bible. So it's incumbent upon all of us to be consistent, to be committed, and to have daily renewal. So number one element for daily renewing is renew God's Spirit. Number two is to renew your mind. Let's turn to Romans, the 12th chapter. Of course, that's connected with God's Spirit as well. Romans, the 12th chapter. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Verse 2, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I just wrote a coworker letter when uh, commenting on an advertisement that appeared in the Charlotte Observer on July 4th from, I believe it was called the Freedom from Religion Foundation. And their motto is, instead of in God we trust, in reason we trust. And, of course, I, in the co-worker letter, I point out where did God, where do human beings get the ability to reason? Where is the source of that wonderful opportunity to reason? And what is reason based upon? Well, God has given us not the spirit of fear, or power, but of a sound mind. Sound reasoning comes from God through His Spirit in our minds. And He says we need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So are you renewing your minds regularly? Let's turn to Ephesians, the fourth chapter along that line. Okay. Ephesians, the fourth chapter, starting with verse 20. He talks about uh, the new man and the old man. But you have not so learned Christ, breaking into the middle of a thought here, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. The old man that was buried at baptism still tries to resurrect himself, and we have to overcome and realize that old man human nature still tries to overcome the new man. And so in Colossians, it tells us, mortify the deeds of the flesh. So it's a continual battle, and that's part of the character growth and part of the challenge he gave us. But he tells us to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. Let's turn to Colossians 3. I just referred to that. Colossians, the third chapter. In part of our mind, when you read the book of Proverbs, you have knowledge, Wisdom and understanding. And, of course, all of that based on the Word of God is truth. But all of those characteristics, knowledge, understanding, wisdom, 
we need to attain to. Colossians 3 and verse 9. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge. Yes, we need to have the be renewed in the spirit of our minds, but it has to be true knowledge, not knowledge production, which mainly most of the institutions of learning in the United States and around the world, or at least many of them, are in the business of knowledge production, knowledge for the sake of knowledge, which doesn't lead to lasting character and true knowledge based on God's word and reality. We heard in the sermonette the reality of God's creation. And the world is deceived. It doesn't have the basis for the truth. So he tells us we are to be renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave, nor free, but Christ is all and in all. But we need to seek knowledge every day. I'll just quote Proverbs 12:1. Whoever loves instruction loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. I think some of our children can identify with that one. Let's turn to 2 Timothy, the uh, third chapter, 2 Timothy 3. You all know this memorization verse, 2 Timothy 3. How do we have a renewing of our minds? 2 Timothy 3 Verse 16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine or teaching, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God or the woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And how do we get that knowledge? Of course, it's through daily Bible study. And I remember Mr. John Robinson's sermonette here some weeks ago in which he encouraged us to start every morning by praying five, reading the Bible at least five minutes and maybe five minutes before going to bed. And I found that to be very helpful to me. Of course, I'm doing research and writing and using the Bible uh, not only those two times a day, but I found that extra emphasis of putting a priority on reading the Bible before I go to bed or reading the Bible before going to work has just been an incredible benefit to me over these past uh, 10 weeks. Acts, the, uh, well, 2 Timothy 3.16, we just read that it's profitable for the complete man and for the complete woman. Acts, the 17th chapter, Acts 17. And here, again, God compliments those who tested the preaching of the Apostle Paul and others, they were more noble. Acts 10, Acts 17, sorry, starting with uh, verse 10. Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the Scriptures daily. Search the Scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. No, I did not. So let's turn to Romans, the 12th chapter. God has given us the greatest gift 
of all the creatures on earth, and that's the human mind. And then even greater than that, with the Spirit of God combined with the human mind, gives us insight, revelation, understanding, and real truth. Romans, the 12th chapter. What gifts God has given us. We have to make sure that we are faithful and responsible in caring for those gifts. Romans, the 12th chapter, verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. I already read this. Yes. Which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to the earth's world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. What should you renew every day? Renew your mind, the spirit of your mind, as we read. Number four is we need to renew our daily commitment to prayer. We need to pray every day. Let's turn to... uh, Matthew, the sixth chapter, Matthew 6. And, of course, you've been exhorted to do this before. But the Scriptures tell us to exhort one another daily while it is called today. That is, today your opportunity for salvation. Matthew, the sixth chapter, and verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. So if we're praying every day for our daily bread, we need to pray every day. And what it demonstrates, of course, is that we have a day-to-day dependence on God. Our dependence never ends. And we acknowledge God in all our ways, Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. So we pray every day. We acknowledge God. As I mentioned before, I have to, uh, I I originally got a little perturbed when my wife said, well, let's pray about that. And so, but she's got me well trained. Every time she says, well, let's pray about that, we pray about it. We pray about everything. Not everything and everything, but mostly everything. So, but we pray every day. I won't turn there, but you know the scripture, 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. Or 1 Thessalonians 5.17 in the NIV, pray continually. And then Romans 12, verse 12, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. Or do you feel that you're so far away from God that you cannot be instant in prayer, that any moment you're going to ask God, help! And know that he's listening to you. And God knows every hair on our head. He knows every second what we're thinking. He knows every second what we're doing. And we want to be in his hands to have his guidance and direction so that we can have that abundant life that Jesus promised in John 10 and verse 10. Let's turn to First uh, Thessalonians, the third chapter, just to show another example here of the Apostle Paul's dedication in daily prayer. First Thessalonians, the third chapter, and verse 10. Well, 
Let's start in verse uh, 9. He's encouraged by uh, Timothy's visit, and he said, verse 9, For what thanks can we render to God for you, you Thessalonians, for all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before our God? Verse 10, Night and day, praying exceedingly that we may see your faith face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. So he was praying night and day for the Thessalonians. Let's turn to uh, 1 Timothy, the fifth chapter. And here we find widows dedicated praying night and day. 1 Thessalonians, I'm sorry, 1 Timothy 5 and verse 5. Now she who is really a widow and left alone trusts in God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day, contrasted by the worldly widow who lives in pleasures is dead while she lives. And, of course, we think of Anna the prophetess in Luke, the second chapter, who served God in the temple with fastings and prayers just continually. So number three is to renew your commitment for daily prayer. Number four, well, before I go on to that, I'll just share this one poem. Some of you have heard it before. It's a, an anonymous poem. So how many of you feel that you don't have time to pray? Don't raise your hands. But this uh, poem called The Difference, I got up early one morning and rushed right into the day. I had so much to accomplish that I didn't have time to pray. Troubles just tumbled about me, and heavier came each task. Why doesn't God help me, I wondered. He answered, you didn't ask. I wanted to come into God's presence. I tried all my keys in the lock. God gently and lovingly chided, my child, you didn't knock. I wanted to see joy and beauty, but the day toiled on gray and bleak. I wondered why God didn't show me. He said, you did not seek. I woke up early this morning and paused before entering the day. I had so much to accomplish that I had to take time to pray. I think you've heard that one before, but uh, a very colorful uh, explanation of how some of us think we don't have time to pray. Number four is to renew and review your personal goals and missions. I won't ask you to raise your hands, but how many of you do not know Matthew 6.33? But seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. But you may not remember verse 34. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow... For tomorrow will worry about its own thing. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And it's a balancing act because obviously God tells us in the Proverbs that the foolish, the prudent foresees the evil to come, but the foolish pass on and are punished. So we have to have the long view, have the vision of the future, and prepare for crises and other times ahead. And again, I asked... uh, at the uh, Tomorrow's World presentation in Brooklyn here just uh, last month, whatever it was, 
How many of you, out of the 124 new people out there, how many of you here in Brooklyn and Manhattan have enough water if a crisis comes by to last a week? And only about 12 to 15 percent of them raise their hands. They're not prepared. And uh, we've been urging you and all of God's people for years to be prepared financially, prepared physically for water and food, not, uh, not hoarding it, but at least to last a week or last a couple of weeks. And I won't uh, ask you with that challenge. But God says that we have to have that balance about worrying about tomorrow, planning ahead, yes, but focusing on fulfilling our responsibilities for the day. Philippians, the third chapter, Philippians 3, we read in the sermon last week. This, of course, concerns our goals. And if you'd gone through the process, the exercise that Alan Lakin gave, those three basic questions, if you had just six months to live, how would you organize your life? What would you want to accomplish in those last six months? So we all should have goals in life. Here, Philippians, the third chapter, the greatest goal brought out here in verse 12. Philippians, Philippians 12, 3, verse 12, pressing toward the goal is a subhead. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on. That's our daily renewal responsibility. I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So we have to have that kind of commitment. And I was impressed last week in Dr. Meredith's sermon on Philippians to realize how much the Apostle Paul had his mind on the Savior, Jesus Christ. Dr. Meredith mentioned how some of our critics think that we speak too much about Christ. And yet the word, the name Christ, appears in the book of Philippians 24 times. The word Lord, another 15 times. No, our relationship, our way of life, is connected intimately with our living high priest, Jesus Christ. And he lives his life in us and we in him. We're all bond servants of Christ. Of course, as it says in Philippians 1.1, 1, 1, might turn back there and see another aspect of our calling. Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Jesus Christ. So our mission is to serve. What are your goals in life and what is your way of life? We have a commitment to endure to the end, but we also have a way of life, a Christian way of life that involves fulfilling the missions that God has given us and a way of serving. One of my favorite uh, authors or poets is Edgar Guest, and this book is called A Heap o' Living Along Life's Highways. He has this one poem called Life, page 63. Life is a gift to be used every day, not to be smothered and hidden away. It isn't a thing to be stored in the chest where you gather your keepsakes and treasure your best. 
It isn't a joy to be sipped now and then and promptly put back in a dark place again. Life is a gift that the humblest may boast of and one of the humblest may make the most of. Get out and live it each hour of the day. Wear it and use it as much as you may. Don't keep it in niches and corners and grooves. You'll find that in service, its beauty improves. So God has called us to serve, and we have to renew our spiritual vitality, which is brought out here in Hebrews, the 12th chapter. We have a commitment to endure to the end. But we've set goals. We've made commitments to achieve those goals. And that includes a way of life that is a way of giving. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Hebrews, the 12th chapter, Hebrews 12, again, one of my favorite scriptures on endurance, vision, and persevering to the end. Hebrews 12, verse 1, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, when we look back on Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah, and even the harlot Rahab, uh, mentioned in verse 31, Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily ensnare us, and let us run with endurance or patience the race that is set before us. Looking, how do we do that? We look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Yes, life is a race. And we run that race with endurance day by day, being faithful, consistent, persistent in our prayer, in our study, in our service to others, in the fulfillment of our goals. And, of course, we want to apply the seven laws of success in achieving those goals. Alan Lakin asked the question, what are your goals in life? What do you... In essence, what is the meaning of your life? And you've heard me mention this before, but and I've asked uh, individuals in personal conversations, and I think even in a spokesman club at one time, what is the meaning of your life? At the end of your life, what would you want written on your tombstone that would summarize the meaning and accomplishment of your life? I've told you before that I would want on my tombstone, if it wasn't too expensive to write on it, here lies Richard Ames. He was an overcomer and turned many to righteousness. That's very deep as far as my purpose in life is concerned and the other principles, of course, that drive us on. is Matthew 6.33 and many other of the scriptures of God that are principles, a whole way of life that motivate us to keep us going on when we may not feel like going on. So number four is renew and review your personal goals and mission. Number five is brought out here in Luke, the ninth chapter. Turn to Luke 9 and verse 22. Number five in your daily renewal is take up your cross daily. Luke 9, verse 22. 
He said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Verse 23, Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, and I hope that's all of us, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him, the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. So Jesus said, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. We all have crosses to bear. Of course, when I was young and uh, energetic, I didn't think that I had crosses to bear. But now as we age, some of us have physical ailments, health issues, physical handicaps, and some in a social arena maybe have a, a negative work environment or a family environment. Dr. Meredith has physical handicaps. I have physical issues that I'm dealing with. And so we have to take up our cross daily and go forward even with those handicaps. And Dr. Meredith has been setting a sterling example of going forth in spite of those limitations. 2 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, 2 Corinthians 12, the Apostle Paul had some handicaps or limitations, as he describes in 2 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. In verse 8, he had this one problem, well, the thorn in the flesh, which he mentions in verse 7. Then verse 8 of 2 Corinthians 12, concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, Paul writes, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. We all have that promise of the power of Christ, the power of God's Holy Spirit. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. My turn back to uh, Isaiah, the 40th chapter. Isaiah 40. So those of you who feel that you're weak, and I feel that I'm weak many times physically, not able to run like I used to and jog like I used to. And then when we are weak, then are we strong that the power of Christ may rest upon us. For Dr. Meredith's 40th anniversary, ordained as an evangelist, we gave him that crystal eagle and then also a um, glass uh, setting behind that inscribed with the scripture here in Isaiah, the 40th chapter, and verse 31. But those who wait on the eternal shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Well, I pray for that renewal. 
We need to pray daily for renewal, but make sure that we're willing to take up our cross daily and follow Christ. I won't turn there. We, we sang Psalm 103. It's one of the hymns earlier, but I'll just refer you to Psalm 103, verse 5. Who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. That's one of my prayers. I pray that God will renew my youth like the eagles. We need to take up our cross daily. And some, of course, are going through pain and suffering, many different trials and tests. 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter. 1 Corinthians 15. Again, when you think the Apostle Paul's tests and trials and pain and beatings and imprisonments, 1 Corinthians 15, and start in uh, verse 30. And why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? 1 Corinthians 15, verse 31. I affirm by the boasting in you which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. If in the manner of men I have fought with the beasts at Ephesus, what advantage is it to me? If the dead do not rise, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. He's arguing for the resurrection, of course. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Awake to righteousness and do not sin, for some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak to this your shame. So he says, I die daily. And uh, we also sometimes die daily in our own lives, realizing that sometimes it's that we are appropriately mortifying the deeds of the flesh. On the other hand, we may be sad. And this one particular scripture is very encouraging to those of you who may be sad, be going through trials. Let's go to the book of Lamentations. And, of course, Jeremiah was lamenting. He was seeing the destruction and the devastation of Jerusalem and all the atrocities and all the death and dying and sickness and disease and the sword coming upon the land of hunger and pestilence. And he was crying and he was sad. And so he wrote the whole book of Lamentations describing that destruction. Lamentations 3. But he gives this word of hope, Lamentations 3, verse 22. Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I hope in him. The Lord, the eternal, is good to those who wait for him to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the eternal. It is good for a man to bear the yoke in his youth. But he says, They are new every morning, though the Lord's mercies, through his mercies we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. I hope that gives you encouragement and hope. So number five, is to bear your cross daily. Number six is to renew your attitude of repentance. Let's turn to Hebrews, the sixth chapter, Hebrews 6. Here we have a warning. But 
as we already read partly from the model prayer in Matthew 6. I'll just quote it to you. Matthew 6, verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. We're praying daily. And forgive us our debts as we forget forgive our debtors. Implied is that every day, daily, we are confessing sins, faults, weaknesses, mistakes, offenses, if indeed we have and we can see them. And we do that every day. But we must be committed to an attitude of repentance every day until the rest of our life throughout the endurance of our life. Hebrews, the sixth chapter, we have a warning. Verse 4, Hebrews 6, For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tested, tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away to renew them again to repentance. Well, you don't want to commit the unpardonable sin. You don't want to ever, ever, ever get into an attitude of bitterness. And some of you have had to battle that because you've been offended. You've been hurt. Maybe you've been abused. And it's been difficult for you to let go and let God. But you cannot allow yourself to ever let a grudge turn into an idea of revenge or bitterness because bitterness will kill you spiritually. And the antidote Jesus gave in Matthew 5, verses 44 through 48, no, pray for your enemies. Do good to those that despitefully use you and persecute you that you may be the sons of your Father which is in heaven. So if there's bitterness or hate in you, you need to pray for your enemies. And if the opportunity presents itself, do good to your enemies. That is the antidote for bitterness and, of course, forgiveness as well. Verse 6, if they fall away to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. Let's turn to uh, Matthew, the ninth chapter. So we are warned that we must be renewing our attitude of repentance because if the unpardonable sin occurs, then there is no renewing them again to repentance. Matthew, the ninth chapter, Matthew 9. The changes in our life have to come from the inside out. In other words, we might make surface changes, but that isn't going to solve the problem. It has to come from the heart, from the inner person. The inner man is being renewed day by day, even though the outer man is perishing. And the lesson is brought here about the new wine into old wineskins. In fact, we have that sermon by Mr. Gerald Weston, number 674, new wine into old wineskins. Matthew 9, starting with verse 16. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch pulls away from the garment, and the tear is made worse. In other words, you just can't do a surface patch. 
Number seven, verse 17, nor do they put new wine into old wineskins or else the wineskins break, the wine is spilled, and the wineskins are ruined. But they put new wine into new wineskins and both are preserved. So there must be a wholehearted, complete change in our attitude, in our life, a complete surrender that we know and we know that we know we are committed and we belong to God and we are in His hands. Second Corinthians, the seventh chapter, of course, is the section on godly sorrow, godly repentance. Second Corinthians 7, <clears throat> verse 11, after the Corinthians had received that strong correction for their immorality in the first epistle to the Corinthians. Verse 11, Second Corinthians 7, verse 11. For observe this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner, what diligence it produced in you, what clearing of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication. Now, as we read those, are any of those characteristics characteristic of you? Have you actually lived or borne the fruit of those characteristics? Have you had diligence as a result of repentance? Have you cleared yourselves, meaning you've really changed your pattern of behavior? What indignation, righteous indignation. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogancy in the froward mouth do I hate. That's Proverbs 8, verse 13. You have to have that righteous indignation that you just don't, as the world is doing, tolerating every kind of sin. As I wrote in the co-worker letter, the ones who are freedom from religion and are trusting in reason are finding that they want the freedom to sin. But when you read the Apostle Paul's instruction, he said, you were slaves of sin and now you are free to practice righteousness. And we're slaves of Christ, no longer slaves of sin. But you have that indignation of what is evil, and you know why it's wrong. Why is same-sex marriage wrong? Why is homosexuality wrong? Why is drug abuse wrong? Why is adultery wrong? When you see it around you, then you have that righteous indignation. What fear? Fear of God, a godly fear, what vehement desire, a strong desire to do what's right, zeal to serve God, what vindication. In all these things you prove yourselves to be clear in this matter. Renew your attitude of repentance daily. Number seven is to renew your commitment to God's work. And I know most everyone here is committed to God's work, but of course this message is going around the world and by the way, just again want to express my appreciation to the congregation here. We talked about uh, renewing God's Spirit and the fruits of God's Spirit. And part of that is love, which is Romans 5.5. 5. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And we really see in this congregation here in Charlotte that brotherly love. And I just want to again express appreciation to all of you for the cooperation, the service, and care, and love that we are showing towards one another. So thank you very much for that. John, the fourth chapter, you know, 
exemplifies Christ's attitude, which we also must have. John 4, verse 31, remember his disciples said, Rabbi, eat. And uh, he says, I have food to eat of which you do not know. And they said, has anyone brought him anything to eat? John 4, verse 34. My food is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Those two major characteristics in life. How strong in your heart and mind and character is that commitment to do the will of God and to finish his work? That was Christ's attitude. We need to have that commitment and By the way, we have been receiving some very encouraging news. We already mentioned, of course, in the announcements about and uh, the introduction to the sermon about the telecast going out to Russia and uh, other nations in that area of the world in the Russian language. Uh, But we also, from time to time, get letters that come in of lost sheep that have come back to God's church and... uh, uh, Dr. Winnell got this letter from one of our ministers, and I'll share a part of it with you. This was uh, July of this year. Dear Dr. Winnell, something happened this past week I thought you would find interesting. I invited a young man to return who had left us years ago. He is an exceptionally fine young man, and it grieved us to lose him. He was our first fruits. He was the first person baptized in this area following the transition from global to living Everyone was overjoyed to see him. So he'd been missing for quite a few years. He has had rising misgivings over the years as this other fellowship's attendance has plundered. No work being done, no new people called of God. The pastor's abrupt manner of dealing with people and his refusal to answer his phone or return a call or answer a question. But here's what did it for him. This church made great hay, the one he was attending, when they learned of the wedding supper change. Especially they scorned and mocked the idea it would be in heaven. This man laughed and mocked right along with the rest of them, but he decided to read Revelation 19 over one more time. To his amazement, he could not get an earthly wedding location from the chapter. He read it again and again. Each time he read it, it seemed more conclusive that it would be in heaven. This was the key. This issue is what convinced him to leave this other fellowship. He tried another church a couple of Sabbaths and found it depressing. Finally, he swallowed his pride and walked into the door. We are so pleased to have him back. So here is a man who left, and we pray, of course, and have fasted in the past that God would bring some of these lost sheep back. In fact, uh, I also got an email from a, a man in Finland. And this is what he wrote me. Hope you are well. We met nearly 30 years ago in Denmark during the Feast of Tabernacles. You asked me to write my name down and give it to you so you would pray for me, and I did. It stayed in my mind, and I liked your offer very much. After what happened to WCG, we have been totally we've been totally by ourselves in the north part of Finland. There were 14 of us in this country. They all left the faith. Besides that, we are forgotten by all those whom we knew. I believe they all joined different splinters and went from one organization to another. 
as it is written in Amos, the eighth chapter. We kept the course, the faith, the doctrine which was delivered to us through Mr. Armstrong by the good, wonderful, and only Samaritan who is Christ Jesus. The priests and Levites have passed us by. We have been listening to Mr. Armstrong's sermons ever since and look to the author and finisher of our faith, Christ Jesus. So he asked me to pray for his 24-year-old daughter. I responded to him and referred him to Mr. Rod King. And we have Mr. Simon Roberts in England who is looking after Scandinavia. And Mr. Simon Roberts will be communicating with this man in northern Finland who said it's been so many years, a couple decades or more ago. So we're very thankful to see that what God's work is doing. We need to pray for God's work. And, of course, your church bulletin gives you activities that are going on. We heard the French and Spanish websites report, the Philippine Youth Camp, the Indonesian Update, the Adventure Trip Update, and University. So even in our church bulletin, you're getting news of God's work. We do need to pray for the income. We're thankful for some of our members who are economizing. Mr. Gary Ombi, who's our media television coordinator, worked with some of our television agents and asked them if they could to reduce the payment that we make to television stations by 10% over the next three months. And two of our agents responded uh, successfully. Uh, One agent uh, reduced one, two stations uh, by 10% for three months, which amounts a savings to God's work of $1,170. Another agent responded to Mr. Ownby's request, and one network reduced their cost to us by $3,240. So thankfully, just in these two efforts by Mr. Ownby, we're saving $4,140. But we do need to make sure that we are careful of our finances as well. Mr. Herbert Armstrong in 1980 and 1983 in the Plain Truth magazine. January 1980 wrote an article titled, Prepare to Greatly Reduce Your Standard of Living. And then he followed that up in May 1983 with a superscript added, We warned you three and a half years ago to greatly prepare to greatly reduce your standard of living. Now I've encouraged you here in the congregation, many of you to have your home garden. So thank you for that. Some of you have those. Um, how many of you have at least one plant growing food? Some, how many of you have a plant growing food? Oh, excellent. That's, oh, that is wonderful. That's 64.5% of you have some kind of a garden or a plant growing food. So keep up the good work. You know, Edgar Guest, I mentioned, has uh, talked about happiness, and part of that is gardening. And this is titled Happiness, page 137. He builded his happiness out of these, birds and blossoms and friendly trees, books that stood on a little shelf, three or four neighbors much like himself, the wife and children who bore his name, and he asked no favors from wealth or fame. He found delight in his garden plot, new marigold and forget-me-not. He walked the hills, he fished the streams, with friends he trusted, he shared his dreams. He was sometimes merry and sometimes sad, but he had made the most of what joys he had. He found his thrills in the lesser things the joy of a blossoming peony brings, the merry songs and the kindly mirth, 
of the gentle women and men of earth. He thanked his God for the right to live, and he never asked more than life could give. Seekers for happiness wander far, and oh, how jaded and tired they are. Forever pursuing the strange new thrill, they never have caught and never will. But he found friendship and flowers and trees and builded his happiness out of these. So that's happiness by Edgar Guest. We have a mission, and Dr. Meredith has given us that purpose in the sevenfold commission in the Living Church News. One, preach the gospel of the kingdom in the true name of Jesus Christ. Two, preach the end-time prophecies and the Ezekiel warning to the Israelitish peoples. Three, feed the flock and build all our members to the stature of Jesus Christ as best we can. Four, be examples to the church of God and to the world of Christ's way of life. Five, learn and practice servant leadership in all our dealings with others. Six, restore apostolic Christianity or original Christianity in all that this implies and build an atmosphere of radiant faith within God's church. So number seven is to renew your dedication to God's work. And remember John 4:34, Jesus said, My food is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. So brethren, we are living in the most exciting time of all history. We anticipate the greatest event of all times, the return of Jesus Christ to this earth to establish the kingdom of God. We look forward to the resurrection and the marriage of the Lamb, as it says in Revelation 19.7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And we make ourselves ready day by day. And to her was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. The fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. God is creating in us through trials and tests his glorious, righteous, godly character. And it's painful, but we must dedicate ourselves to persevere and endure to the end, as it tells us in Matthew 24, verse 13. Let's turn to Romans, the 14th chapter. We visualize the kingdom and we commit ourselves to be faithful until the end. We must always remember who has paid for our sins. We must always remember we belong to Jesus Christ. Romans 14, starting with verse 7. Romans 14. For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. Is that your character? Is that your thinking? Is that the way you are, that you have dedicated yourself? You belong to Christ. He's bought and paid for you. Whether we live, we are the Lord's. Whether we die, we are the Lord's. Whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. God has given us a lifetime to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Christ. And so we have a lifetime to learn lessons. They'll be painful at times, but they should be lasting lessons. 
He's called us to be transformed in our minds, to be renewed in our minds, to think like Christ thinks. One final scripture, 1 Peter 4, verse 19. Again, one that I believe really explains the trials and tests that many of us have been experiencing recently and to show the long-term glorious purpose of God to create in us His perfect and righteous, godly masterpiece of creation, His character. 1 Peter 4:19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to Him in doing good as to a faithful Creator. And that means we trust God to create in us His perfect character. It means that we can sometimes wonder what we're going through and why we're going through it. As it says in the NIV, so then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. In other words, when we suffer, we still try to do the best we can in doing good while we suffer. Some have not endured, some have fallen away because they were not consistent They were not persistent. They were not faithful in daily renewal. We must be faithful every day. God has given us the responsibility to live each day by faith. And at the end of your life, we need to make sure that your name is in the book of life. Think about the meaning of your life. What would you want on your tombstone to summarize the meaning and accomplishment of your life? In today's sermon, we briefly discuss seven elements for, for renewing your life every day. One, renew the Holy Spirit and produce the fruits of the Spirit. Two, renew your mind daily, and that includes daily Bible study. Three, renew and review your personal goals and mission. Four, renew your prayer life daily and thank God daily. Number one was the Holy Spirit. Number two, your mind. Number three, your personal goals. Number four, your prayer life daily. Number five, take up your cross daily. As the Apostle Paul says, therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Number six, renew your repentance. Number six, renew your repentance. Number seven, renew your commitment to God's work and pray for more labors that come into the harvest, as it tells us in Matthew 9, verses 37 and 38. So, brethren, let's continue to rejoice in God's way of life and remember 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day.